Welcome to Season 5, Episode 4 of the Zebra Before and After Podcast. I'm your host, Lane Ball. The biggest challenge was actually screwing in all the handles on the drawer fronts and making sure they were perfectly aligned. So I had to clamp them down very firmly to make sure that they weren't shifting around. Today we hear from Andy of Modern Makeovers, winner of the Best of MCM and the 2022 International Zebra Golden Brush Awards. He'll give us some insight into the challenge he faced when refinishing his winning piece and share his secret to refinishing. Nicole with Black Birch Interior shares a refinishing tip on working with vintage laminated furniture. We're excited to feature another episode segment of Uncovering Art. This episode, we feature a stunning mural painted by Candy with Orchid's True Blue. Just like opera is a culmination of the arts, Candy's amazing four-wall mural is a true culmination and reflection of her artful talents. Our question of the week, what is your secret to your refinishing success, will be answered by our friends Anya with Anya's Designs, Sarah with Sarah Chin Design, and Richo with House We Call Home. In our segment, If This Piece Could Talk, we chat with Jennifer of Save by Design on what she learned about an old secretary desk that she obtained to refinish. Stay with us, friends. We have the inspiration, fun, and community that will platform your day. interviews of our Zebra Golden Brush Awards category winners continues. Today we are going to learn more about Andy with Modern Makeovers. Unfortunately, it didn't work out to do a regular interview with Andy, but he was kind enough to answer our questions via audio. So today will be a little different in that I will ask the question and we will play his response. To give you a little background, Andy won the Best of MCM category with a beautiful piece that was stained black and had vertical handles that were stained as well, but lighter than the base. He also installed new legs. Andy, tell us about your winning piece and a summary of your refinishing process with this piece. This piece was actually in very good condition, so not a lot of repair work was necessary. I sanded away all the paint so that I could stain the wood, and then I used a water-based stain in black, then sealed it with a water-based poly in a satin finish, which really brought out the wood grains through the black stain. The biggest challenge was actually screwing in all the handles on the drawer fronts and making sure they were perfectly aligned. So I had to clamp them down very firmly to make sure that they weren't shifting around. What was your biggest refinishing fear early on in your career that you feel like you have now overcome? One of the fears that I had when I first started refinishing furniture is not being sure how durable the top coat on the furniture would be long term. But I think that fear slowly went away over time as I did more projects and actually kept some of the pieces in my own home and got to see firsthand how durable they actually are. You are an accomplished award-winning refinisher, Andy. What is your one secret to refinishing that you are willing to share? A tip that I have would be to collect things like old socks, t-shirts, containers, basically anything that you would be throwing away but you could use for refinishing furniture. Socks in particular are really useful because they're perfect for staining. Not only is it a good way to save a bit of money on supplies, but for me it's actually become a part of my business identity in a way because some of my YouTube audience seems to really like the way I reuse materials. Any new areas of refinishing that you have never explored before but hope to in 2023? A goal that I have for 2023 is to explore some new skills, and in particular, I want to try incorporating epoxy resin for a furniture piece. I admire creators that are experts with epoxy because I think there are so many creative possibilities, but I've always found it intimidating to start. But as with anything, I think it's just a matter of diving into it, making mistakes, and not being discouraged. So for 2023, I'd like to start making some new mistakes. 
Thanks, Andy, for sharing more about your piece and answering our questions. Tremendous job on your MCM dresser. It turned out stunning. Andy can be found on Instagram at modern.makeovers and on his very popular YouTube channel, Modern Makeovers. This week's refinishing tip comes from Nicole with Black Birch Interior. Hi, Nicole here from Black Birch Interior. Zebra has asked me to share one refinishing tip with you all. Sometimes when you buy vintage laminated furniture, the tops have blister marks that have developed over the years of use. The best way to cover those marks after you sand them out is to use a shellac-based stain blocker. This will seal all those spots in from reappearing after you paint. I like to do a minimum of three coats while sanding between each one. This will ensure a flawless finish. Remember, your end results are only as good as the time you put into your prep work. Happy painting! Thanks, Nicole. I'm sure many can identify with this challenge and will appreciate your solution. Edgar Degas, a famous French Impressionist artist, once said, Art is not what you see, but what you make others see. Every day thousands of artists are doing just that with their work, and every day we see unique, beautiful pieces of art that have stretched the limit of creativity, bringing art to new levels of inspiration. Uncovering these unique pieces is what this segment is all about. We are excited to feature another episode of Uncovering Art. These segments give us all the opportunity to explore a specific art form, what makes it unique, and how the artist achieved the design, uncovering the details, uncovering the art. Today we are uncovering an extraordinary piece of work by Candy with Orchid Street Blue. She was commissioned to paint a moody and calming landscape on all four walls in a room at the Wheeler Mansion in Chicago. Painting with a brush in hand and four blank walls, Candy, over several days, unveiled this beautiful and inspiring mural. We hope you enjoy. Hi, Candy. Most of what we see from you is furniture art and canvas painting, but you recently took on a huge project, painting a mural at a historical mansion in Chicago. You started, I believe, in December and completed in February? Yes, I did. This is such an undertaking (laughs) because it was a full room mural in this uh, historical mansion. Am I correct? That's right. Um, Please tell us about it from beginning to end. My goodness. Um, All right. So where do I begin? It is a very large room in historical mansion. It's called the Wheeler Mansion in Chicago. It's one of the few historical mansions that survived um, the great fires of Chicago. Um, And my client reached out to me because she is wanting to redesign this space. She uses this space as a boutique hotel. So she was wanting to redesign this space and turn it into a cafe slash bar in the evening. And um, she had this vision of a beautiful monochromatic, like English countryside scene. So I collaborated with her and we developed ideas on what the space would look like. Um, And once we came up with the idea and plan, I started painting at the end of December. And this this piece definitely took me some time, but I was working on multiple projects. 
And well, I mean, what do I say? It it's painted in a beautiful monochromatic kind of stylized scene. Lots of beautiful forest and trees, water, um, different animals. The scene was also inspired by um, the hotel owner's dog, Wendy. So there's this adorable dog on each wall. So romping through the trees in one scene, trying to bark up one tree of a squirrel on another <laughs> wall. <laughs> Lots of cute little, like, hidden hidden little messages um, mm -hmm. that you can't really appreciate unless you're in the space. Well, I, th I think it's important to point out <clears throat> when you uh, talk about painting a mural like this, that we're not talking, at least from my estimation of your pictures, they're not talking about uh, eight foot ceilings. I mean, this looks like 10, 12 foot. I mean, this yeah. is pretty, pretty high up. There are uh, about 11 foot ceilings. I worked on the ladder most of the day and definitely got a workout, <laughs> <laughs> but it was so fun. Honestly, Lane, I mean, I, it was such a nice change of pace because there wasn't a lot of prep work. I cleaned the space. I put paper down and, and taped it off. And that was like my extent of prep work. Everything else was just my brush and my paint and my music. And I could just get lost in there and paint for hours. Um, I would go down to Chicago. So I live up in Evanston. It takes me about a half an hour to drive there. But I would wait until all the rush hour traffic <laughs> was gone. And I'd drive down there at like 10 in the morning. And I would stay all day when I painted. I wouldn't leave until rush hour, after rush hour. Uh -huh. And so I would be there until like 7 in the evening. And honestly, it felt like it was just a blink. And... It was hard work and my muscles were sore at the end of the day, but I was like, that is what I want to do every day. <laughs> you know, when you look at it and, and actually see some of the reels that you created, which shows you, um, you know, through the process, um, it, it looks overwhelming, obviously, to someone who doesn't paint murals. Um, did you... You talk about how much fun it was and how much you enjoyed yeah. it. Was there any part of it? that was overwhelming and stressful? So normally when I'm working with a really detailed painting, there's going to be thumbnail sketches and designs and big drawn out plans. And for this piece, I had lots of different references but I wasn't quite sure how I was going to put it all together. So there was a lot of building layers. And for me, I needed to obviously build a base. So I painted the background white and I added um, the clouds in the foreground. And it just lots and lots of building of layers. And because the space is so big, it takes a lot of time. And like we've discussed about furniture art, like when do you know when it's done or mm -hmm. when do you know when to stop? Um, with this piece, it was hard to know exactly when to stop. So I feel like communication is key. Working with your client and communicating like back and forth, I would send photos and video. Um, she would often get video of my process before I would share it on Instagram. 
or she would see it on Instagram and then she'd message me. And so I feel like that was key to helping me know how much more I needed to push it because I could continue working on this mural for another month. You mean like adding detail or detail? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But there has to be an end to the project. Yeah, so she sort of restrained you, if you will, because of what the vision that she had in mind, along with the, your initial kind of brainstorming on the monochromatic look and feel of the of the of the entire piece. Yeah, sure. That and then she she also challenged me or pushed me to to take it further in certain areas too, mm -hmm. which is great because I wanted I wanted her to be absolutely like amazed by. <laughs> by what she was, you know, what she was paying for. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you about your client. And uh, so she, I, I thought what I was going to say is, did she pop in and out of the room periodically? But so she sounds like she was out of town. Yeah, she was not there for, for the process. So we communicated through phone and text and video. Um, she honestly didn't see this in person until last week. Really? Yes. So, so was, she, was she blown away? She was. <laughs> and and I, I know it's so hard sometimes when we don't get that, like, um, whether when our piece is being shipped off and, and your client finally sees it, we're like holding our breath this whole time until they tell us like, oh, we love it or oh, we don't. Um, and finally, when she was able to sit in the space, and she sent me messages. I was, yes, that's, this is, this is what it's all about. Yeah. So it's such a good feeling. Uh, and, and I'm sure that when she sat there, it was probably even more amazing than when you see it through photos or videos, just to be able to, especially because it was on, uh, more than one wall. Was it on all four walls? All four walls. Yes. So when you're in that room, the whole mural pretty much encompasses you. It does. It really does. Yeah. So, you know, it's cool because you mentioned earlier that this is going to be like a cafe. So folks are going to be able to, who are in the Chicago area, come in and see this play, uh, see this piece. They will. Um, I think it'll be for private parties and events, um, a cafe in the morning a few times a week and... Mm -hmm private parties in the evening. Yeah, it's going to be a really highlight, um, a special treat for for this hotel. Now, what do you do when you finish a mural like this? Because I'm thinking in terms of furniture art, you know, you always seal it. Do you also seal murals? The paint that I used, I used Annie Sloan's um, wall paint, which is a new product. Um, and it has a flat finish. It does not need to be sealed. So, it's it's meant to be durable for walls, like scrubbable. For this piece, I didn't need to. Wow, that's nice that that was all built into it, because um, it uh, certainly probably. I mean, what if that hadn't been in there? Would you have just like how would you coat something like this? Would you just coat it with a top coat, like just roll it, or how would you do that? Yeah, I mean, I may brush it on. I thought about it too when I was looking at what what medium or material I wanted to use or what paint I wanted to work with. Um, and I didn't want to have to go over the mm -hmm. paint, especially, I mean, there's so much surface area, but if I'm working with a canvas and I'm sealing it, um, I would brush it on because I love the brush stroke. 
Yeah. Um, that's not something I'm trying to hide. And so it would just add another layer. Have you gotten any more mural projects since you took this on? I am working with another interior, but not a mural per se. So oh. um, I, I hope I can get some soon. Oh my gosh. I, I, with a piece like this, I would think that you would get uh, quite a, quite a large number of folks, especially just in the Chicago area alone, being that it's such a large city uh, for opportunities to do more of these. It's neat that you've got these, these different, you know, outlets within the one uh, art, it, you know, art form itself, you know, whether it's a canvas mural or furniture, because uh, it probably gives you all that variety. Because I, I would imagine that after you finish this piece, or maybe through the process, you know, like if you had a full day painting a mural that maybe tomorrow you're going to paint a piece of furniture, it's kind of a nice probably change of pace. It is. It is definitely nice. I love that continuum of art. Candy, I do have one more question on this mural. Uh, maybe I'm the only one who would ask this sort of a question, but when... You know, I look at this piece and it is very monochromatic, which gives it this sort of moody feeling, you know, that uh, is just it creates a lot of drama. Um, and but you're using you're doing a lot of mixing, I'm assuming. Uh, it, it was it difficult to maintain the same tonal changes in quality as you went throughout the whole mural. So one part of the mural over here doesn't have a different <laughs> sort of tone to it than than another part. Hmm. I mean, that's a good question. I work with several different colors, even there were six different shades of, of paint that I was working with, but I did do a lot of mixing as well. Um, so I just tried to maintain all those same tones on each wall. And I, I do a lot of like scanning and turning around here and turning around there to make sure it was felt like it was well balanced. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that my critical eye, maybe I shouldn't even share this, but I see different like perspectives that are not necessarily the same on each wall that are on one wall from the next. Um, and that kind of bothers me, but it also pushes you a little bit further. Like it's okay not to have the same perspective because when we're looking all around in a forest or we're closer here to, to this tree than we are on that wall, that was a bit of a challenge. That's part of the stylized effect, though, of the work, don't you think? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I was, I was asking this question, too, because one of the reels shows you painting cattails. And um, uh, the top portion above the, the mountains has sort of a really smooth, very flowy, misty kind of uh, look to the sky. But it has also a warm tone to it. Uh, mm. and it's, it's such a nice blended effect, but it's not so blended that you don't see the sort of the grayness in the clouds that are flowing over the mountains. Mm. And I just thought, man, that must be hard to maintain that quality of that tone, you know, uh, in, in different places throughout the painting so that it looks consistently, um, smooth and like it's all one big mural, even though it's on four different walls. But but then at the same time, you've also probably got things like lighting, uh, windows, daylight that's going to hit the mural, maybe on a certain part of the day, which is going to make it look a little warmer mm. than you know another part of the room. And then the the actual lighting of the room itself. So there's so many different things at play. 
Lane, you do a better job talking about my mural than I do. Well, (laughs) (laughs) well, part of that's probably because you're so immersed into it and it's fun to get somebody from the outside to look at it and almost kind of, uh, you know, interpret the different aspects of it. Um, it it really, really is beautiful. I was excited to be able to talk to you because we were able to see the processes through your Instagram account and to, to see it done and to see that, uh, this is a completed piece that took so much of your work and so much of your time. But then the fact that you enjoyed it as well is uh, is rewarding for all. Yeah, thank you for for interviewing me. I really appreciate it. Friends, you can see Candy's work on Instagram at Orchids True Blue and uh, Facebook as well at Orchids True Blue. Candy, thanks for sharing about your creation of this stunning mural. You're welcome, Lane. It was my pleasure. We're going to take a quick break now to hear from our sponsor. Hi, everyone. My name is Kim O'Donohue with Needle and Brush Decor, and this podcast is sponsored by my friends at Zebra. Here's what I love about Zebra Brushes. Zebra Brushes, first of all, are affordable and easily obtained through their website or big box stores. I love the brushes for their durability and versatility. Their bristles are soft and glide over my pieces easily, no matter what kind of paint I'm using. My very favorite is the Palm Pro that I'm currently using to paint a kitchen cart. I love its comfort and ease of getting into tight spots. Another favorite is their round brush, which gets paint in or out of raised detailed areas, and it's awesome for spindles. I've often highlighted the three-inch top coat brush in my stories. That brush literally saved my sanity while working on an heirloom dining room table last fall. It's definitely my go-to brush when using top coats, which are not always easy to apply. Recently, I purchased a chisel wedge to use strictly for applying hemp oil. It worked splendidly. And zebra brushes don't disappoint when it comes to keeping them clean. They wash and clean easily and continue to work like a new brush. I love my collection of zebra brushes, and I'm pleased to tell you how much I enjoy them. Have a great day, and thank you, Zebra. Thank you, Kimberly, for your kind words about our brushes. It is a great encouragement. Our question of the week, what is your secret to your furniture refinishing success, is answered by our friends Anya with Anyos Design, Sarah with Sarah Chin Design, and Richa with House We Call Home. Hey everyone, this is Anya from Germany. You can find me on Instagram at Anush Designs. That's A-N-N-O-U-S-H Designs. My secret to my furniture refinishing success is actually two things. One slowly growing a collection of good quality tools. It can save you a ton of time and nerves to invest in a few good tools like a quality sander and good brushes and paint supplies that really make a significant difference in the end. And my number two secret being to never lose the joy and pleasure I get out of refinishing, even if I run into big issues. It may sound so simple, but when refinishing, we all come across situations where our first impulse is to panic because we don't know how to solve these issues. So this is when I try to take a step back, even for a few days if necessary, clear my head and remind myself of why I love doing what I do. I often reach out to fellow refinishers and we'll find a solution together because this is just such a helpful and awesome community. So in the end, I fixed my problem, I learned a few new approaches, and I can be so proud of myself and take another box on that skill list. Hi there, my name is Sarah Chen. My IG account is 
Sarah without H dot Chen dot design. Check me out. So I have been doing furniture refurnishing um since 2018. And I have to say my biggest secret of having a successful refurnishing business is guess what? Mohawk products. So I love to use Mohawk toner and Mohawk matte finished lacquer to refinish my wooden pieces. I found lacquer is a lot more uh, it just works much better for me because I like how quickly they dried. Literally, I can, if I sand a piece, and then I can just stain it, of course, with Mohawk products, and wait for about half an hour when the weather is nice. Then I can start in my spray with my lacquer and the toners if I need to change the color a little bit. Anyway, I can get a piece ready from like raw wood to finished usually in like one hour because every time you spray the lacquer and it dries within few minutes and I usually spray like seven, eight time, uh, layers of lacquer over it to keep it durable but still it just I don't have to wait. I can get my piece in and out very quickly. So yeah, try them out, Mohawk products. Hi, I'm Richa and my Instagram account is House We Call Home. My secret to my furniture refinishing success is not giving up. The whole process from sourcing a furniture to its final sale takes time, especially for a beginner refinisher like myself. It can be easy to feel discouraged or overwhelming when things don't go as planned. So what has helped me is by staying focused on the progress I'm making and I try not to be too hard on myself. I love that we have amazing and supportive refinishing community to lift each other up. So there are three things that have helped me on this journey. Number one, understanding my market. Number two, taking good pictures. And three, maintaining price for the piece. When I started out last year, believe me or not, I tried to grab all the free furnitures I could find at Facebook Marketplace. And as of today, my storage is full with all these free finds that either needs a lot of work or does not motivate me to start on. So as I start to understand what my market prefers, I'm now more strategic with the pieces I choose to work on. So for staging and photography, I take as many pictures as it takes with different lightings and uh, rearranging setting props until I wow myself. I work too hard to settle for okay pictures and um, I really do think that good pictures make a difference in selling a piece. Pricing is always hard for me. When I started out, I did price my pieces pretty low and uh, used to be quick to drop prices if they didn't sell right away. But now I have more confidence on my pieces and learned to be patient. Thanks, Anya, Sarah, and Rita. Every piece you locate and purchase as a refinisher has a story. With some pieces, there is no information available to tell its story, but with many others with the right sleuthing, you can find out something about your piece in hopes of sharing the past along to the next generation. 
Discovering the history of your pieces and sharing them here on the podcast is the purpose of this segment, If This Piece Could Talk. Jennifer with Say by Design loves discovering the history of her pieces, and as a result, she has appeared on this segment before sharing amazing and exciting historical information due to her asking questions and digging for answers. On today's episode, we visit with Jennifer and we hear all about the history of an old secretary desk. Enjoy. Jennifer, you are always sharing on your IG account about these incredible furniture finds. We're going to talk about one of those in a minute, but I first want to ask you, where do you, where do you find these pieces? I mean, these are like historical, <laughs> incredible pieces. Uh, I'm going to tell you, um, I get lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. But no, we, we really do. We search everywhere. We try not to discount anything. Um, just in the last few months, um, some of the most incredible pieces I've found, we uh, we try to do auctions, which I can talk about in mm-hmm. a little bit, um, about finding online auctions. We search Facebook Marketplace. We get a lot of pieces from there. But you really have to dig. I always tell everyone, look for the listings that have the worst pictures or the worst descriptions. <laughs> and it's probably a good piece. So really? look for that. <laughs> we, I'm telling you, I, you gotta, you just gotta be a little brave. Uh, we find stuff at, you know, yard sales. We find, we don't go to thrift stores, honestly, very much anymore. But back in the beginning, that was something that we tried to strive for. But now it's not really worth the battle, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But we also have people that, and I think other refinishers will find is they build their business and their notoriety and their following. People will reach out to you and be like, mm-hmm. Hey, I've got this piece, whether it's for free or it's something they're selling. A lot of those are going to be duds, but there's really going to be some diamonds in the rough there too. So I always tell everyone just be open-minded and it doesn't hurt to look into something. So yeah. you never, you never know what you're going to find. Really good, really good tips. And uh, I, I think it's interesting when you, when you talk about, you know, where you're looking for these pieces and um, a lot of these uh, antique stores and consignment mm-hmm. shops, do you feel like those, do you think things just get picked over too quickly or do you think they, that they just get priced too high? I think for the most part, they get priced too high. Um, not because they'll be selling something, that I could say, you know, say they have something listed for $3,000. Yeah, I could sell it for 3000 but after I've refinished it or after yeah, I've right. put work into it, marketing it correctly and so on and so forth, there's um, unfortunately a trend, which I'm not worried about. It'll It comes and goes. I find where people see the cost that refinishers get for furniture and they mm-hmm. don't differentiate between why we're getting that cost versus why they can't get that cost. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, I do find that a lot of times in antique stores, it's, it's just overpriced. Um, and it's not necessarily that the piece isn't worth that, but it's just not something a refinisher can buy. And the truth of the matter is most of the people shopping in those places are refinishers. So, mm-hmm. and I've even had discussions with store owners about that, you know, cause they've just asked my opinion and I've told them and some of them have taken that into consideration and it's helped them. And some of them didn't want to hear it, but, yeah, right. <laughs> but yes, I, I do think that's the, I do think that's the issue there for sure. So one of the pieces uh, that we're going to talk about today, um, if this mm-hmm. piece could talk is an old secretary. Uh, tell us about this piece and what you found out about it. 
So, okay. We were on an online auction um, that actually it was ending that same day. So I normally don't log into an auction that same day because I know there's usually a bunch of people already watching a piece and I just don't want to fight that battle. So logged in. So we uh, look for online auctions. We don't actually go to physical auctions because I don't want to be around that many people, to be honest. <laughs> but we, we shop in online auctions and um, anybody can just search in their area. So just for an example, say you live in Texas, just get on Google, search for online auctions for, you know, whatever your town and state are. Mm-hmm. And it, you'll, it'll pull up usually local auction houses that are do a lot of estate sales online versus in person. So definitely check that out. Um, highbid.com is a really good one for uh, nationwide. So we logged in. We seen this piece um, and another one. We got two pieces at the same time. That other one we can talk about at a different time. And uh, I seen it and I said, well, you know, it's an East Lake style antique secretary, but the times that those are made can vary greatly. But I said, well, it looks like it's in pretty good condition. Put a bid in on it, got outbid, talked to my partner. And she said, you know, she said, I think that's something that we could basically clean up, do some oiling, polishing the hardware. And I think we could do well on this. Okay. Well, I'll bid a little more. So I put in another bid and held my breath <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> and, um, and we got it and I was so excited. So, you know, we looked at it and I kind of had an idea on the size of it. And I said, okay, based, and this is a good example where I talk about the bad pictures. Mm-hmm. There was only two pictures of it. It looked like it was about the height of me because we have done antique secretaries in that style that are usually just, you know, five, six foot tall. Mm-hmm. And so we got there to pick it up. It was over seven foot tall. It was massive. And I just looked at it and I thought, man, I hope this thing comes in two pieces. (laughs) So, um, you know, we were, we kind of, the first thing we look at is, you know, how is it constructed? What type of joints does it have? What type of nails or screws or whatever does it have? And so we got in there, we realized the top came off. We got that out. Um, and then I told my partner, I said, well, let's go ahead and take the drawers out just to reduce the weight. Cause we were walking a pretty good distance when moving it. And so I took the top drawer out and I about had a heart attack because <laughs> I was trying, there was other people in the room getting other things and, you know, you don't want people to know what you have. And so I, I opened this drawer and I take it out and I just stare at it. And my mom, my partner, she looked at me and she's like, what? And I was like, I was like, look at this drawer. And she, she said, what are you saying? So I was like whispering. I was like, get over here and look at this drawer. <laughs> and it had it had a handwritten date and signature from the maker in oh the back goodness. of the drawer. And I was just having to come apart about it. So <laughs> I was like running around frantically, but other people probably didn't realize that I was. And I was trying to get those drawers outside. At that point, I convinced myself somebody was going to steal it from me. So um, <laughs> we get everything loaded outside. I do a quick story while I'm standing on the bed of the truck. And I'm like, guys, I'm like, y'all aren't going to believe this. I'm going to update you when I get back in the shop. But I just got to show you this. So anyways, we get back to the shop. We start digging into it. And it was made, I think it was January 4th, 1889. So just after New Year's um, on 1889. And it was by William Kennedy and a um, Charlie Lair, I believe is how you pronounce the last name. So first thing we do when we have 
any type of piece with any identification on it whatsoever is I start an intense Google search. I mean, I get I get down some rabbit holes. And um, so we found out it was made in Italy Hill, New York, which we looked up. We were then, thank goodness, to my Ancestry.com account. <laughs> we did some digging and we found out that these gentlemen were partners, um, that they actually didn't specialize in furniture, but they did do some furniture. Um, we found out that William Kennedy had owned a basket making factory and um, did all the wood planing for the furniture makers. And then we found out that Charlie was actually a wagon uh, maker. So, you know, think about this. 1889, mm-hmm. you didn't even have vehicles driving down mm-hmm. the road. You still had horse and buggy, which is crazy to think about. And um, so we really got to dig into who these people were. And we determined that they were both um, in their mid to late 30s when they made this. And I can just imagine how proud they must have been of themselves. So we, of course, shared that with all of our followers. And as we got to digging into the piece, it was amazing just to see the the quality of craftsmanship that went into it. It still had um, ink stains on the inside of the desk where you could tell someone was actually using an ink bottle to to write when they were using the desk. And um, it was just truly amazing to get to have my hands on that piece, but also to get to share that with the followers. And of course we went into them about how they can date furniture based on joints and nails Mm -hmm. and types of wood and all that. So yeah, it's been a really, really big honor to work on that piece. So exciting when you make those kind of discoveries. And so this was at an auction. Um, you found uh-huh. it on an online auction. You went to go pick it up. Uh-huh. Any any ideas yeah. how long the the, the people that uh, had this estate, how long they had this piece? Do you did? I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, so I, I did a lot of research into it because I did find out the names, um, which I won't release for privacy reasons, but um, the names of the couple, it was... Um, an elderly couple that I think had moved into a nursing home at this point. Um, mm-hmm. So we found out their names, found out that they were originally from that area in Italy Hill, New York. Mm-hmm. And we found a receipt in the other piece that we bought there from, I want to say probably around the 1980s. It didn't have the exact date on it, but based on all the information we found on the receipt, we believe it was from the 80s. And I have a very strong suspicion that they probably um, got these pieces somewhere around the same time. So I don't know exactly how long they had had it. I would say at least 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in phenomenal shape. They they had really taken care of their pieces. And I know that it didn't end up very far from its home because yeah. of the fact of where I found out this couple lived in New York was very close to where it was originally made. So my guess is, um, and we find this a lot with antique furniture for actually getting to talk to families, is that piece was probably made and lived with one family mm-hmm. for the first half of its life and then went on to either an antique store or an estate sale and this other couple acquired it. So I would say it has had no more than two or three owners in its lifetime because of the condition that it's in, first of all, but just also knowing um, the areas that it came from and then the people that had acquired. And the reason it ended up here is I think this couple retired and moved down to Tennessee. So, so yeah, that kind of gives you an idea 
on that. You know, sometimes when we hear a date, uh, that was before our time, it's hard to put it in context of what was going on in the yes. world then. So so here are a yes. few notable events from 1889. So oh, I'm Benjamin, excited about this. Yeah. <laughs> Benjamin Harrison is inaugurated as the 23rd president of the United States. The oh, wow. Eiffel Tower officially opens to the public in Paris, France. Oh they my jump- gosh, that's yeah, crazy. I know. <laughs> that, that one really like struck me uh, as profound yeah. when I saw that. The Johnstown flood, one of the deadliest disasters in American history, occurs in Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. A dam failure uh-huh. causes a massive flood that kills over 2,200 people and causes widespread oh damage. This is interesting as well. North Dakota and South Dakota are admitted as the 39th and 40th states of the United States. And that's Mon- crazy. I know. Oh I my know. gosh. Okay. <laughs> and then Montana is admitted as the 41st state of the United States. So the, I, I just, the, I guess we, we share that in common because when I hear about these old pieces and the stories behind them and the historical notable events that take place, it puts everything in context. And you've got this piece that like at that time period, all of this was going on, like you said, no, no vehicles. And it's just like, it's like, wow. It's just like, you just want to stand and gaze at a piece like that. Because it's amazing because when we think about it, first of all, we don't even know what it's like to live in a time where we don't have all 50 states. That's crazy. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> also, also to think of, you know, we, we tend to think that, you know, 100, 150 years ago was the Stone Age. And we, you know, we doubt the crafts of those people at that time. But if you go back and look at the quality that they put into these pieces and how like the the more hands-on technology mm-hmm. they had, they're creating things or they were creating things that were far superior to what we do now with all the technology we have. So yeah. it's it's so humbling to to stand in front of a piece like that and say the man that had his hands on this, that built this, was in a completely different world than mm-hmm. what we are now. But it has stood the test of time. All of, you know, all of that. And to think that, you know, pieces like that, most likely the people that worked on them or just parents of the people that worked on them were, were part of the Civil War. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just... It's mind blowing. It's yeah. it's a, history is my absolute favorite. So to be able to bring that into the aspect of what I do now is um, it is incredible. It's amazing. Well, it's a it's a beautiful piece, and of course, folks, you can see it on uh, Jennifer's Instagram account at SaveByDesign.tn, yes. and it'll also yes. be up on our podcast page as well. If you're listening to us there, you can see it there. And um, I, I do want to ask you, uh, I yep. know. I'm not surprised to say that I'm sure you're going to tell me this piece is sold. It's not in your home because you're, you're a businesswoman and you're selling these pieces. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. And my cats would probably scratch it up. But, but no, yeah, this, this piece is already sold. And just from a refinishing business point of view, um, I'm more than happy to break down cost as well. And so the piece, this particular piece, we paid $272 for it, which I know some refinishers were thinking, oh my gosh, that's a lot, you know, but you get what you pay for. So yeah. we invested $272. Um, we invested probably, I'll have to go back and look, I don't know, maybe seven hours or so just in like a detail cleaning, oiling, mm-hmm. polishing the hardware. Uh, nothing very difficult, just a little time consuming. And we sold it for $2,895. So wow. it's, it's very important that refinishers 
Look at what they have and price what it's worth. Don't let someone tell you what you should price it at if they can't afford it because you'll read a lot of refinishers run into that and they doubt themselves on what they can sell a piece for. So it's very important to, to research those pieces to know what you have because if you don't know what you have, you might end up selling it for $500 and you're out. <laughs> so it's important to keep that in mind. Thank you for sharing that because it's so important. It does multiple things. It encourages refinishers to really be thorough about pricing, as you said, Mm -hmm. and to understand Mm -hmm. these are quality pieces and you don't want to underprice them. And there are people out there that are more than willing and eager to pay that price to have a piece like this in their home. I actually had clients arguing over this and I'm not exaggerating. Like there, there were people that, that were, not happy that they didn't get it. <laughs> so it, that's that goes back to, you know, what I've said before about targeting your client base. So, um, but when you do have a piece that that does have that historical significance, make sure you're researching because you really need to know what you have before you mm-hmm. ever put a price tag on it. Mm, that's so good. Well, Jennifer, thanks for sharing. Uh, will you come back on again soon? Absolutely. I've always, I have, I have three other stories about pieces that mm. I could share with you. So you just let me know. <laughs> okay. I'll be back at you with a schedule so that we can get you back on. Cause I know folks are going <laughs> to want to hear more about these pieces. We, this is really Absolutely. one of my favorite segments. If this piece could talk. So thanks so much for coming yes. on and sharing. Absolutely. Happy to. Hi, Diane Williams here with Art to Die For and International Decorative Artisans League. I'm here to invite all of the Zebra listeners to our upcoming Decorative Painting Convention to be held April 24th through the 29th in Charlotte, North Carolina. Please check out our website at decorativeartisans.org to see the amazing list of classes, everything from stenciling to muraling to painting, cabinetry, and furniture with a sprayer. There's a vast, vast list of classes. Please come check it out. We're also going to take a field trip to High Point Furniture Market for inspiration and to learn what our designers are all going to be seeing and how we can help them. So I hope to see you there. As you know, we began our new monthly staging contest called Zebra Staging with Jen and Amanda, the Vintage Sisters. Stay tuned in the next few days as we will announce on Instagram our first, second, and third place winners. Now that March is over and we are in April, it's time to enter your beautifully staged pieces you have staged in April. All you have to do is post your pieces with the hashtag ZebraStagingApril. Jen and Amanda, along with our three winners for March, will review the hashtag the 1st of May and choose three winners. The winners will be chosen based on the effectiveness of the staging, and this covers the quality of the piece refinished, how the pieces are staged with a particular style of furniture presented, and last but not least, the quality of the photography. If you want to learn more about staging, make sure you go back to a recent podcast episode in Season 4, Episode 51, entitled The Art of Staging. The three winners will receive a special framed award, zebra paintbrushes, and appear on our podcast to be interviewed by Jen and Amanda. Also, the three April winners will co-judge with Jen and Amanda for May's staging contest.
The Zebra Review is in full swing, so stay tuned for the announcement of our March winners soon on Instagram. For April, the category theme is Dining Tables, and our featured judge is Katie Scott with Salvage by K. Scott. If you have refinished any dining table from January 1st, 2023 through April 30th of 2023, simply use the hashtag Zebra Dining Tables. Katie will pick her five favorites, then the remaining three judges, Jim with Perfectly Imperfect Furniture, Katie Cloud with Katie and Company and Home, and Lauren with Portland Row Living will vote out of Katie's selections to choose the three winners. This month's prize sponsors are Mud Paint, D. Lawless Hardware, Surf Prep Sanding, and Zebra Painting. The winners will appear on the podcast and be interviewed by Katie. Thanks for joining us each week. We are grateful for each of you. All links to artists will be in this week's show notes. We can't tell you how encouraged we are when we hear from you or when we read your reviews on one of the podcast directories. Speaking of podcast directory reviews, would you consider leaving one on your favorite directory if you haven't already? This helps tremendously in our ability to reach more people as well. It is a big boost to our ranking. As a thank you for leaving a review, we'd like to send you a small gift. Simply screenshot your review and email it to me, laneball at enjoyzebra.com. Put podcast review in the subject heading and include your full name and mailing address. Okay, that's it for this week. Until next time, friends, happy painting. Happy painting.